0: The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. We want to welcome you again to Faith. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online, those of you in the venue, as well as those of you who are here in the Worship Center. Uh, Today, we would like for pretty much all of you, if you will, to fill out the connection card, even if you've been coming to Faith for a long time. We've added a question this week just to give us an idea of how you're doing. And so you can find the connection card uh, on the website or on the Church Center app and it won't take long to fill out, but that would help us out, and we'd love to connect with you in that way. You can do that anytime today, maybe right after the service would be a great time. And you'll also find on the Church Center app and the website a sermon outline for this message here today. Well, as a, a football fan, this past season was about the best season that I can imagine. Okay, why is that? Well, uh, my alma mater is LSU, who won the college national championship, and my favorite pro team, the Chiefs. And so it was a pretty good year. The only, the only thing better I could imagine is when K-State and the Chiefs win their respective championships in the same year. That might be better. But it was a great year. And football isn't everything to me, but it's something to me. And so I find myself just telling people this, this news kind of all the time, like right now, for example. And what I found is that after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, I'd be talking to friends or acquaintances or a random person in Home Depot, and they'd be talking about the Chiefs. And I'd, I'd have to mention, Do you know where I went to, to college? <laughs> I wouldn't know why. I went to LSU. It was a pretty good year for me football-wise, right? And so uh, pastors often make the point that it's the most natural thing in the world, to talk about good news. We just love telling people good news. Therefore, if uh, we really understand that the gospel, which means good news, if we really believe the gospel is good news, then it should be very natural for us to want to share that with other people. And there's a point there, but the point is not that it's as easy to talk to somebody about Jesus as it is to talk about football or whatever delights you grandkids or kayaking or cooking or the last great book that you read it's just not it's just not the case it's much more difficult most more much more demanding to talk to people about the gospel for starters almost nobody except kind of a random Alabama fan gets upset at me for talking about football right but some people do get offended when I talk about Jesus uh, as well, it's natural to talk with people about topics that they already find interesting and fascinating. Uh, but it's very challenging to talk to people about Christ who are not already interested or who have a negative view of Christ and or Christians. However, and I say this, say this cautiously, if you have entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, Uh, your experience with the gospel is so much deeper. It is so much more profound. It is so much more substantive than your experience with anything else. In other words, your experience with the gospel is the most glorious experience you have ever had. And so today I want us to, to think about the implications of that when we think about Telling the gospel, speaking with other people about the gospel. And so we're in the midst of a sermon series about the glory of God, and each week we're exploring a different aspect of the glory of God, and we're we're exploring how understanding and, and being passionate about the glory of God will help us become less self-absorbed. In other words, a passion for the glory of God will make us healthier people. And so last week, we saw how God's glory in creation prompts us to worship and to trust God. And today, we're going to explore the glory of God in the gospel. And so we begin in 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is the passage that Amy read a few minutes ago. But we see in this verse that our experience, it talks about our experience of God's glory through the gospel. And just a little context for 2 Corinthians 3. In that chapter, Paul is talking about how the glory in the new covenant far surpasses the glory in the old covenant. And he readily admits the old covenant had glory. There there was glory in the old covenant. Uh, When Moses came out of the tabernacle, uh, he had the glory of God on his face. It was radiant. But Paul tells us that since the glory on his face was not permanent, he put a veil over his face so that people would not see it fade and thereby thereby become discouraged. But in verse 18 here, Paul makes a contrast between the glory Moses experienced in the Old Covenant and the glory that believers experience in the New Covenant. And as we talk about this verse, I want you to ask yourself the question. Just be honest with yourself. No, No reason not to be honest. Ask yourself, am I actually experiencing what Paul is describing? And if not, why not? This is what he says. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul here makes at least three points of contrast between the old covenant and the new. First of all, he says, whereas only Moses could go into the tabernacle with an unveiled face, he says, we all, all believers have a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. And it's kind of the opposite of, of talking to somebody wearing a mask, right? You don't really see what's going on. You don't really uh, see expressions and, and understand, just have this open, open communication. But we all, with unveiled face, we can contemplate, the glory of God directly and it's not just that we know about the glory of God we can actually ponder it as something fascinating something that's accessible uh, to our lives and remember the the our working definition of God's glory is the manifestation or the display of his moral perfection and his beauty or in other words it's the display of his holiness and so God is morally perfect. God is infinitely beautiful. His glory is the display of that. You see it in creation. You see it in the word. You see it in in, uh, everywhere you look, really. And one of the reasons, for example, why we worship is we need to take time to notice and praise God for his beauty, for his moral perfection. We sing about the love of God. I mean, who else loves like that? Who else pursues us like that? It's glorious the way God loves us. And so we sing about it. And this is one of the reasons why we linger in God's presence with the Word and in prayer. Because we need to internalize the moral perfections of God and and come away just, just remembering in the depths of our soul that God is beautiful. He's more beautiful, therefore our affection for Him should be greater than any other affection. In Ephesians 1, Paul spoke about the glory of God's grace. I mean, what else is as radiant, as weighty, as substantive, as beautiful as God's grace? And so, not just Moses, but we all have a face to face relationship with God. The second contrast, whereas Moses' face, uh, the glory on Moses' face was external, our glory is internal. I think Paul says that we are being transformed internally and morally. The only other place where this term, uh, translated transformed is used to believers is in, in Romans 12 too, where Paul commands don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and so in that verse and in, in our verse today the idea is that an internal transformation takes place whereby we're conformed to the image of Christ and so as we behold as we contemplate the glory of God Uh, we're changed internally. We become more patient. We become more kind. We progressively learn to think the way God thinks about all these issues that we face. And so we're going to explore that the next couple of weeks. Next week, Sam is going to talk about the glory of God and suffering. If you see the glory of God and you want the glory of God more than anything else, you will suffer in a very distinctive way. The following week, Brian's going to talk about the glory of God and racial justice. And so if you see the glory of God and you want the glory of God in every context among all peoples, you will pursue racial justice in a very distinct way. The third contrast, whereas Moses' glory faded, our glory in the new covenant increases over time. Paul says that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to, to another. And so the idea is that we start out with one degree of glory, moral perfection, moral beauty, and we're transformed to another greater degree of glory. And so again, this is, a, this is a staggering thought, but our experience of the glory of God makes us progressively more glorious. And so we become like God in his moral excellence and his beauty. And the New Testament even tells us in many places, actually, that this process will continue until the return of Christ. And guess what glorious thing happens then? Then we will be raised immortal. We will be given bodies that are glorious, like Jesus' resurrected body. And so glory will extend even to our bodies. And so to summarize, through the gospel, the glory of God is transforming all believers into increasingly glorious people. Through the gospel, the glory of God is transforming all believers into increasingly glorious people. And you may hear that and you may, may be skeptical like, how is that even possible? How can people that are so inconsistent and so fickle, like we are so much of the time, how can that happen that we would become increasingly glorious? Paul tells us in the last line there he says for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit if you've entered into the new into the new covenant through faith in Jesus the same spirit that hovered over the surface of the deep at creation the same spirit that raised Jesus bodily from the dead that spirit dwells in you and is transforming you and so the only reason why this is even a possibility Is because of the Spirit who is the Lord. He's making you increasingly glorious. This is what you should expect. This is what you should experience. And so that's our experience of God's glory through the gospel. In in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul explains how that informs how we think about the gospel and how we talk about the gospel with other people. And in these verses, Paul gives a series of perspectives that, that, uh, about the way he thought about and shared the gospel with others. And I would encourage you to, to listen to these with an open mind. The, if you're not in the habit of sharing your faith with other people, these perspectives can give you a fresh vision. They can give you hope, actually. Hope that you can be a person who freely shares the gospel with others as well. The first pers- perspective is found in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul experienced all sorts of opposition, all sorts of hardship in his ministry as an apostle. But he declares, he said, even though it's hard, uh, we do not lose heart. We don't get so discouraged that we just want to give up. No, to the contrary, he says, we maintain the highest uh, standards of integrity He says that in verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so contrary to accusations, Paul says he was in no way deceptive or underhanded. He didn't try to to just win people to Christ through deception. He says, we don't tamper with God's word. And we can appreciate the value of that. We have tamper-proof lids on medicines, right? That's a good thing because we want to make sure when we open it up that the medicine inside is the same thing that we're expecting, right? Paul says, that's my attitude toward God's word. I don't tamper with it. I don't adulterate it. You can be sure that the gospel I'm preaching you is the one that God has revealed to me. He said, we just speak the gospel plainly and honestly. And he said, we, we then commend them to, God's, to their conscience in the sight of God. He says, here's the message. Go before God. Ask him, discern, is this the truth? Is this truth from God that will save you? And so the first perspective is here for us is that we speak the gospel simply and honestly without losing heart. We speak the gospel simply and honestly and trust that the gospel will do its work. I kind of feel like we, myself included, we often overthink sharing the gospel. We're like, well, if I'm really going to talk to somebody about something as monumental as their eternal destiny, how to avoid hell and how to experience heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, then I have to have every answer for every question. And what if I stumble? What if I bumble about? What if I, I don't express myself as perfectly as the gospel deserves? And we can, we can overthink it to the point where we, we are just so paralyzed that we never share the gospel. Well, this is where this perspective can give us freedom. In, in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, Jew, Gentile, everyone. And so there's certainly a place for preparation and even training in sharing the gospel, but, but leading people to Christ does not hinge on us getting everything right. The gospel is powerful. And so we simply, honestly share the gospel. The gospel is powerful because the death and resurrection of Jesus are powerful. We speak the gospel simply and honestly without losing Heart. For the last 2,000 years, the gospel has been powerful. It will be powerful for all the ages. The second perspective is found in verses 3 and 4. And apparently, Paul's uh, opponents would ask him things like, Well, if you say this gospel is directly from God, why do so many people reject it? If it's really the truth, everybody would accept it. Well, he answers that in verses 3 and 4. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of, uh, minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, by the way, is the image of God. And so the God of this world is a reference to Satan, and Satan is an intelligent, powerful, spiritual being who led a rebellion against God. And Satan's main objective is to keep people from seeing the glory of the gospel. He wants to make people think that it's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous, it's obscure, it's irrelevant, it's just words, and so he tries to blind people. He says the main way he does this is by blinding the minds of unbelievers. Specifically, Paul says, to keep them from seeing any any piles up these phrases the way he often does to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so the gospel is the the news that Jesus died for our sins. He was raised on the third day and he gives life to everyone who believes in him. And so the light of the gospel is is, uh, the good news shines the light in the sense of revealing that this is true And specifically, the gospel reveals the glory of Christ. It reveals how glorious Christ is. Who else could be so glorious that he would lay down his life for you, that he would lay aside all his heavenly prerogatives? Not because he had to, but out of compassion, because we're like sheep without a shepherd. We need to find our way back to God. We need somebody to lead us back to God. And so the gospel reveals how weighty, how radiant how morally perfect, how beautiful Christ is. And so the gospel is glorious because Jesus is glorious. But Satan blinds unbelievers from seeing how glorious Christ is. And Paul adds that Christ is the image of God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus said it repeatedly. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so this good but good cop, bad cop thing between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, between Jesus and God in the Old Testament, not true. That's, that's a stereotype that does not hold water. It's, uh, it's not the truth. He is the image of God. So why does Satan not want people to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? Because when light confronts darkness, light always wins. Notice it the next time you turn on a light switch. Notice it the next time you you light a match. Light always wins. And so Satan tries to keep people from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel because if people really see the glory of Christ, they will want it. And God gives life to everyone who wants it through Jesus. And so uh, as Michael Heiser points out, the most foundational victory in the spiritual battle involves seeing people move from the the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light that is a permanent eternal victory in the spiritual battle and so that's what happens when someone believes and so the second perspective we see in this this passage is that we understand that satan is actively working to keep people from understanding the glory of the gospel And again, this is one more reminder that ultimately seeing people come to Christ is not a matter of human persuasion and human effort, although persuasion and effort are involved. But ultimately, God has to open someone's eyes so that they can see the glory of Christ. And so what's the takeaway for us? Well, one takeaway is we have to pray. We have to pray passionately, fervently, uh, just over over long periods of time sometimes for people to come to Christ. Pray, God, would you open the eyes of this, this friend, this person that I love. I so desperately want to know you. And so we pray. And I would say to you that if you are, are not yet a follower of Christ and you are open to being a follower of Christ, it's a risky prayer. But I would encourage you to pray God, would you open my eyes? I hear people talk about the glory of Christ, but I don't really see it. I don't really get it. And so ask God, will you open my eyes? I want to know if Jesus really is the Lord, if he's someone to whom I should give my life, stake my eternal, eternal destiny on. And so Jesus, if Jesus died for my sins, I, I would want to know that. The third perspective is found in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says this, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And So Paul didn't want people to be impressed with him. He wanted people to be impressed with Jesus. And so he, he spoke in such a way that the light would shine on him. He never wanted to promote himself. He proclaimed Jesus as Lord. He's the one to whom you should bow the knee. He's Lord. He's master. Me, he said, I'm just a servant. I am your servant bringing you this gospel. In verse 6, he returns to his experience of the glory of God and the gospel, and therefore why he preached Christ and not himself. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, in other words, the God who spoke at creation, he spoke light into existence, that same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so the light that Paul experienced was this knowledge of the glory of God, not in some abstract sense. You want to know what the glory of God is? Look at the face of Jesus, and there you'll see the glory of God. That's what had shone into his heart. That's what opened his eyes. And that was the experience of the man in John 9. He said, I was blind but now I see. We sang a, a, a verse of Amazing Grace a few minutes ago. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If you want to go further, that's what Hank Williams think about. I saw the light, right? Uh, that's, that's the common experience of all believers. We are those whose eyes have been opened to the truth of Christ. The third perspective, let your experience of of God's glory in Christ, prompt you to talk about Christ, not yourself. You will actually, if you are so enamored with Christ and you are so thankful, if this is the the deepest, most glorious experience you've ever had, then you will actually tell other people, you will speak the name of Jesus, commending him to them. And so the challenge, again, is not to get fired up and go talk to people. The challenge is to experience the glory of God as fully as possible. For the body of Christ, our long-term strategy for seeing people come to Christ is to become so enamored about the glory of God in the gospel that we just have to tell people. Not that it's easy, not that it's automatic, but we're just compelled. We say with Paul, woe is me if I don't share the gospel. And it doesn't, I'm not, it really doesn't matter whether you've had a very dramatic conversion the way Paul did. Uh, Many of you would say, you know, I I came to Christ early in life. I can't really remember a time when I didn't know and love Christ. It's not dependent on that. Uh, It's not dependent on whether you're more extroverted or introverted. It, It really, really is not. The glory of God that we experience is the same for all of us. People who are passionate about something find themselves talking about it with the people they care about the most. And so long-term, this is what I commend to you. This is what I commend to myself. Experience the glory of God as fully as possible. It's, It's accessible through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that this week this would be our experience. Draw us into times of worship where we adore you and we rehearse how glorious you are in all of your attributes, how glorious in your mercy, in your compassion, how glorious in your justice, how glorious you are in your truth, how patient you are, how glorious you are in being slow to anger. God, we're so unlike this so many times. Transform us. Make us people who are absolutely passionate about your glory. And may it spill over into our conversation, the way we live our lives. Again, it's all to the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.